Hey, everybody, welcome to the HVAC Joy Lab podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Shirk. This podcast focuses on creating more and more conversations about what optimizes life for an HVAC technician. My goal is to produce the most helpful content available for techs, full stop. Today, you're going to meet Thomas Lopez, an up-and-coming service technician in Northern California. He has a very interesting story, which includes getting his very first job with no special training, get this, servicing chillers. We have a great conversation. And one more thing I'm including here, uh, Thomas recommends HVAC school during the podcast. Uh, the co-founder is Brian Orr, and I goofed Brian's name during the podcast, so I'm correcting it here. If you go to hvacrschool.com, you can see what he's referring to in the training available there. So be sure and check that out. All right, let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Uh, joining us today is Thomas Lopez, correct? Thomas? Yes, that's me. All, all right. So Thomas is a technician in Northern California. And uh, as with all of our uh, podcasts here at HVAC Joy Lab, I would just love to pick his brain and get his insight on either things that are working or things that aren't working uh, when it comes to overall technician wellness. So welcome, Thomas. Howdy, John. Thank you for having me. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> good, good. Very good. So let's start with just, I always like to ask people, what's your uh, superpower and what's your origin story? So when you're, what's your origin story that led you to being a technician? So my origin story is, I think, mostly going to be on my wife. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. before uh, getting myself into the trades, I was with the California Conservation Corps here in California. Uh, for any of the viewers or listeners that are not uh, familiar with that, mm -hmm. it is a program where the youth can uh, work for the state pretty much, um, doing fire, fire fuel reduction or working on fire crews with CAL FIRE. Uh, so a lot of my days were spent in state parks, cutting trees down, um, doing brush removal, working on uh, highways, and don't get me wrong, I, I love doing that. Um, but eventually, you know, the, as most things, I, I had my my guffs and I realized it wasn't for me. Sure. Um, I found myself working in retail and very quickly realized I hated working retail. And I think <laughs> everyone can agree with that. Um, so then my me and my wife were like just going back and forth, thinking like, what, you know, what what should I do? Like, where should I apply? What what's the next step? Um, and we were looking at different applications and she found one for a chiller manufacturer here in Northern California. And the position they were looking for was a service tech. Um, I was certain that they would not want anything to do with me. You know, my background does not fall into that of a technician. Mm -hmm. Um, but my wife thought it would be a great idea because I like to learn. I'm very technical and I like fixing things. So she was like, this is going to be right up your alley excuse me. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what? Cast the net, see what happens. So I applied. Uh, they called me in for an interview. They really liked, um, I guess, my go get it type of attitude. And um, I, don't, I don't know, maybe it was the charisma or sure. uh, just how I sold myself. But they ended up hiring me and I made it very apparent to my boss that, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. He handed me a schematic and told me to replace a, uh, a valve of some sort. I think it was a, um, 
like a solenoid valve, something on uh, the system. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the schematic. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what this means. <laughs> and then uh, I went to him and I told him, Hey man, I think I'm going to need a lot of help. So he was extremely patient with me. Hmm. We, you know, had a lot of hurdles to get through together, but he was an amazing boss, an amazing trainer. And, you know, many years later, here I am, I'm very confident as a technician. Um, but if it weren't for that, you know, vote of uh, confidence from that employer, I would not be here today. Uh, so I'd say that's that's the origin story. Man, I got to tell you, Thomas, uh, the commercial techs who listen to this podcast, their ears are on fire right now yeah. <laughs> because, because it is not at all common for a tech's first job to be working on chillers. Not at all. Yeah, it was very overwhelming for about four months. I was coming home every day to my wife and saying, they're going to fire me. Today's the day (laughs) they they know I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, But yeah, my boss, just very patient with me. That's terrific. So then did you have any previous training or did you just go in and take the license test and get started or how did that work? So when I first got uh, hired on, I was not handling really anything crazy. Um, I was trained to braze, solder, you know, the whole nine yards and just basic plumbing, basic electrical, uh, some high voltage stuff. Um, But the company did pay for me to go get EPA universal certified, my EPA preventative maintenance certification and some um, mechanical electrical engineering courses that would help me with the chiller process (laughs) yeah well that's that's really interesting seriously thomas because they he must have seen the aptitude in you for sure because it takes more than a good attitude to work on a chiller and yes you know so and for you to get up to speed that quickly uh kudos to you for the opportunity i mean yeah i mean kudos to the life for pushing me i would would not have applied for that otherwise yeah how many how many years ago did you get started doing this How, how many years has it been I think it's been five years now. Okay. Um, I was at that uh, chiller manufacturer for around three years mm-hmm. until things happened. And sure. I found myself wanting a change of pace. Uh, so that is when I found myself in the residential. I wanted to kind of test the waters with the different yeah. fields of this trade and yeah. just kind of figure out where I want to be because... I do have a very personable personality. Um, sure, sure. Like a welcoming face or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people told me, you know, you would probably do well in residential because you have to, you know, go into people's homes. They need to trust you. They need to be, yeah. you know, comfortable with you. And I feel like I have a lot of those positive traits that would help me excel in that environment. Yeah. So that's where I kind of transitioned. And to answer your earlier question, question what was it uh what is your superpower yes um i think my biggest strength is going to be um my wanting to learn Mm -hmm. so looking at a problem and not just kind of buckling and being like i don't know what to do and panicking but just looking at a problem being like oh this is exciting i get to learn something new i get to add something to that you know tool belt of my mind that's going to help me in the future and i think that's where at that first job why I excelled so uh, well, and maybe that's the characteristic that my boss saw. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you, if any of the viewers, you know, if you mm-hmm. think you have that trade, I highly recommend either getting into this trade or one of the other uh, technical trades because you're gonna love your job every day. Like yeah. you know, there's gonna be those boring days and whatnot, but <laughs> yeah, uh, on those days where you run into a new problem and you get to actually fix it or like resolve it and help someone or help a company. Uh, it's gotta be one of the most rewarding feelings. Well, I'll tell you, Thomas. So I think one of the lessons of your story as well is here's what often happens. Someone young says, Hey, I'm thinking about air conditioning. And then they kind of oriented to the path by someone based on their path. Mm-hmm. And the more common path is in residential, especially you get, Maybe you have some education, maybe you don't. You get hired as a helper, then you become an installer, then you become a service tech. Maybe you get into sales and sales only. And at some point, 10 years in or so, I, I call these guys 10-year Ted, where they've like begun to max out the 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 path 
as a residential service tech and they're trying to figure out what do I do now? Like they're, they're kind of there and they don't really want to be a service manager and where do I, what's next? Because they're kind of, you know, they've been growing for 10 years and now they've kind of, they're at the top of the mountain in terms of residential service. So, um, but you walked in and said, let's just get started on chillers. So, (laughs) So I think, I think one of the lessons for you, for people who are listening is, don't assume that a traditional path is always the way in or the way forward. You know, yeah. if, if what you want to be is a, if what you want to do is sales in a residential situation, um, now I, I'm not always thinking it's a great idea for somebody who last year sold mattresses to start answering service calls, but, <laughs> but the dynamics are not always just like, well, you can get there, but it's going to take you 10 years. Not always, not always. That's, yeah. that's a good story. And I, I advocated for, like, if I am out and I meet a young person that, you know, asked me about the trades or whatnot, mm-hmm. I tell them, you know, just throw yourself out there. You know, if you are kind of reserved as far as whether or not you want to go and, you know, pay for that schooling, or if you want to try and get into a job like I found myself in, where you can yeah. get that training on the job just throw yourself out there, you know, apply for a couple companies, uh, maybe call their hiring manager and just put that extra initiative in. And you'd be amazed how many employers are more impressed with the way you handle that, that first interact, like that first impression than they are with some experience. Uh, If they can look at you and think that you're going to do very well here, and it's not going to take a lot on my part as far as investment or time management, I guess, sure. to get you to that point. You, They might be willing to just train you, uh, but yeah. it, it definitely does take a little bit of legwork from the, you know, those technicians or those people trying to get into the trade. Yeah, that that resonates, Thomas, with my clients. I, it, I don't know how much we, this Thomas and I are meeting for the first time here in this podcast. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you're aware. I, I'm a consultant in the air conditioning industry. Um, especially around workforce stuff. And um, I wrote a dissertation on air conditioning technicians and, and um, my clients um, uh, deploy me in a few different ways, but usually it's around workforce somehow uh, recruiting or uh, competing for talent with culture, things like that. Um, So the um, almost across the board, I, I could go one by one and think, but I think I'll cross the board. My clients all hire, with a combination of perceived mechanical aptitude, does, that doesn't mean you can describe a refrigeration cycle, yeah. but mechanical aptitude and just general demeanor and attitude. Like, like it, a lot of times I see this happen often where somebody is really strong technically, but their people skills are not up to speed and the, the potential employer is afraid to put them in front of a customer. Yes. I, I, I will say I've seen it uh, quite a few times where uh, either coworkers or people that I talk to in the industry, um, they are either very strong with one or strong with the other. In rare occurrences, they are very strong with both. Um, But that's by no mean a bad thing. Um, If you have very technical, like awesome um, diagnostic skills or mechanical skills, that doesn't mean that this trades, I mean, well, and you don't have great personal skills. That doesn't mean this trade's not for you. Right. You know, there are multiple like areas where you can apply those strengths and, you know, not have to worry about your weaknesses and yeah. same thing, vice versa. If you have amazing personal skills, but your technical skills aren't quite there yet, there's, there's a place for everyone. Um, yeah. I think that nobody should be really too afraid to jump into the, this trade particularly. So Thomas, you have pretty good communication skills. Do you mind me kind of dissecting what I see when you communicate a little bit? Not at all. <laughs> Why I think those skills are good. So um, most people have uh, one of two communication styles, extroverted or introverted. An extroverted communication style is that person's going to be talking and deciding what they're trying to say, thinking about it while they're talking And they may try to say the same thing six times in a row. And then number five, they go, that's the one. And then, then they feel like I've just been so clear, but the person across from them has heard six things and they're not so sure, you know, 
Yeah. Then an introverted communication style is someone who creates big pauses in conversation, silence pause, the silence pauses, where they're thinking through what they want to say before they say it. Usually they value not saying incorrect information or they want to make sure they've thought about it before they've said it in case there's some other ramification for having said it. Um, and so both of those have to kind of account for that dynamic because the one who creates too much silence, if they don't kind of be careful that it's off-putting to the person who's just getting silence in a conversation. And then the person who uses too many words, it's off-putting because the other person doesn't know for sure what they're trying to say. Right. And I'm noticing for you and your communication style, you're really on point. You're not creating a bunch of silences, but you're not rambling to see what you think about things either. And it, um, and then, by the way, none of those are character issues. Nobody's a bad person with any of those, but I can see why someone hired you quickly, Thomas, because I would, if it was me, I would want to put you in front of a customer because you're on point and you communicate really clearly and you'd be able to communicate status and I think give confidence to a customer because of the way you communicate. Yeah. And a lot of customers um, have told me or the office members that they really do like the way that I communicated, you know, either what I did during a maintenance to them or if something was wrong, how well I articulated the issue to them. Um, And that's where being having good personal skills, you know, excels in a residential um, field. And touching on the the introvert extrovert, I think you know one or the other. It's not bad, but yeah, that that good point is where you can kind of mix the two in, where you can slow yourself down because I do talk a lot. <laughs> you can slow yourself down and really think about what you're saying while also not creating that that um, pause in the conversation. So if you're an introvert, you know, being in this trade is going to help you come out of that shell because you are going to, well, if you're in residential, you're going to kind of be forced to talk to customers all the time. You're just yeah. going to get better at it the more you do it. Whereas if you're an extroverted person and, you know, you're just, you just babble and babble and babble, um, you're going to catch on pretty quickly to the customers that, you know, you can see it in their body language and the way they're speaking to you that you have lost them. And the same thing's going to happen. You're going to start learning to kind of pull yourself back, slow yourself down and how to talk better. So in this trade, in all regards, the more you work, the more you will learn technical and personal skills. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I, and to, to add to what you're saying, um, I often tell technicians that it looks at first like the path to a career is technical knowledge. That's more like the necessary evil. The real path to a career is customer service. Like the, the better on a commercial side, I've given this at so many safety meetings, this talk that, uh, if you want a path forward as a career with the company you're with, be the one that all those clients or customers call in and say, can you send Earl? Cause we love Earl. Earl is always on point with us. Earl will talk to us. And if you're that guy, they want to give you all the opportunity mm-hmm. and it, 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 it triggers. It's not like customer service is the only thing that matters. What happens is customer service triggers opening opportunity up within the company where you are. <clears throat> same thing's true in residential it just shows up more like a google star rating and yeah. uh, you know that as you as you deliver terrific customer service everything else seems to come with it and it's not that customer service again is the only thing that matters it's just the lubrication for everything else to happen you know and it when your your service managers see that star rating they're like doggone it thomas what else you want what else can we do to let's get more of this you know And then um, to touch back on an earlier point you made about Mm -hmm. the guys, you know, they do this for the 10 years and they kind of find themselves at a a weird spot. This might not be for everyone, but by golly, training has got to be, in my mind, that that next step. Because once you learn so much about a specific trade or a field of knowledge, once you start training people, it, it's its own, it has its own enjoyment yeah. as long as that's something that you can enjoy. Sure. Because you are going to refine uh, your skills like a sharpening a blade. 
Um, you're gonna think you know it, know it all, but you know a student's gonna ask you a question, or the person you're training is gonna ask you a question that you didn't really ever think of, just like that outside perspective. And you're either gonna kind of work the gears and figure it out yourself, or you're gonna have to, you know, let them know like, hey, I don't know, I'm gonna get that knowledge, and I'll come right back to you. And then you are just building on that knowledge of your own, and also helping that next generation be better technicians. Um, so I say that's one of my later on goals is to get to a point where I can train people and I can train people well. You know, Thomas, I would encourage you to not wait too long. And I'll tell you, I'll explain why. Now, your 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 experience curve is a little different because you have three years commercial, now two years residential. Yes. And um, but there's a kind of a eight or ten year cycle there. One of the challenges that 10 year Ted has this guy who's been doing it 10 years and specifically in residential um, is that there are things that he knows how to do, but he didn't, he doesn't remember the steps of how he learned that he just takes the bat and hits the ball. And so people ride along with 10 year Ted and they'll say, now, why did you say that to the customer? And he was like, Oh, that was just the right thing to say. Well, I knew they had this question by the kind of look they had when I said something else. And so I just asked him that question. Well, how did you know that? I just knew. Right. And so there's a dynamic that happens between five and 10 years of experience where what used to be a clear set of steps slowly becomes taking the bat and hitting the ball. And part of what deepens that person's ability to train others is not waiting until 10 years, but talking about it while it still steps in their own mind. You see what I'm saying? Like, so that it now, now there's a richer well of wisdom later on, and it doesn't, if you've not trained anybody and you're in 10 years now, it doesn't mean you've blown it, but that, that doesn't mean that, but it is, um, I've seen, uh, guys that with 10 years of experience get frustrated with rookies because it's that what they'll say is something like, look, if I have to teach you this, you shouldn't be in the business. Yes. And it, and, but it's really not true. They didn't know it either when they were first year, but they've forgotten it. They don't, they don't remember that. No, I agree. Um, Maybe maybe it's something I need to look a little bit more into because yeah. I, I I think I would really enjoy training. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it helps because someone who's been there, you know, somebody is just getting started and you're in a great position to give them some coaching on just getting started. In fact, you especially because you've come into it in such a non-traditional way. I mean, yeah. you obviously have the confidence to just walk in and put your application in and ask for the job. Um, and so otherwise, there's a lot of technicians who feel like, they're not um they need something to validate doing that like a like a two-year degree or they're not they have to have some they can't just walk in and and approach it but you did so it's clearly possible yeah i I have no issue with college (laughs) but the way that it uh, has been marketed in the past like you need college to do this you need college to do that if you don't do college no one wants you I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. there are a lot of instances where that is very true. And having a college degree will help you significantly. Um, but, you know, some people just down on their luck um, or school just was never for them. They were, they yeah. were never a school person. Um, but for those types of people, I think it, it never hurts. It never hurts to try, even if it, um, that first step isn't being a chiller service tech right. uh, but just working in an industry where you work with uh, hand tools power tools uh, plumbing electrical just basic stuff like that so once you can say you know what i know basic plumbing i know basic electrical i know how to use all of these hand tools if you go to a um hvac company of whatever sort and you tell them that you have a confidence about yourself and you can t- you tell them I am a quick learner and that's just a fact. They're going to, yeah. they, they're probably going to give you a chance. And yeah. I think a lot of people looking to get into this industry just need to hear that. Just you, be confident in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the leap into this business um, for someone who doesn't have, um, you know, family members in air conditioning who doesn't, it, it looks like a, like the grand Canyon you're trying to jump, yeah. off, but it's really not. 
It really isn't. At me mechanical aptitude does matter. You know, I mean, there's some people that are just, they're not just, they're just not made for this. I'm not made to do this. I can't tell you if you want me to like get just effing pissed off, make me put together these little Lego sets that, you know, like when my <laughs> son was little, you know, there's like 25 pieces and I'm like, like you know, I'm going yeah. crazy because I'm just not wired that way. Now you put me just like the opposite of what we were saying earlier. You put me in a classroom and give me research kind of stuff to do. I'm on point. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just, you know, my, my grandfather was a, a tech and my mother worked for Johnson Controls for 40 years. So it was there. I knew of it, but I knew that you put a fluke meter in my hand, man, only bad things are going to happen. And so, <laughs> so, but I found my way how to add value to the industry because I love the industry and, uh, and I found my own unique voice in it, you know, coming from a different direction, mm -hmm. kind of the same way as you came in from a different direction. Um, well, let me ask you this. Um, let's talk some more about point of view on what makes a great life for a technician. And let me start here. Let's start with residential techs and uh, any challenges they may face in terms of uh, ethical behavior in the field. Um, and you, I know you have some feelings about and thoughts about um, the right and wrong way to approach residential air conditioning. Can you just kind of talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So uh, for anyone, any of the listeners out there who are already in the trade, you kind of, I, I can see all just kind of given, I guess your phone, the look of like, ah, I know what he's going to say. <laughs> um, and for all the people who are not familiar with the trade, um, the residential side can be very sleazy. Uh, there are some very bad business practices out there. Mm -hmm. And you know, some guys are okay with that. You know, some guys are okay with putting morals aside and ethics aside and taking that $300 from someone's grandma um, so that they can make a little bit extra commission on that paycheck. Um, me, myself, I'm not okay with something like that. Um, but, you know, once you get kind of get into the trade, I think you'll figure uh, all you techs out there, you know, uh, soon to be or are techs will figure out, you know, what type of technician you are, where that um, moral line, like where you draw that moral line. And, you know, like John, I believe mentioned earlier or in his previous podcast, I can't remember which one it is, <laughs> he said that there is a very large need for technicians in this industry. Oh, that. Yeah means you know if you're in a large area with a bunch of towns around you there's probably five or six service companies hiring at that time oh, and yeah. i can almost guarantee you one of them has good ethics and right unfortunately it's going to probably be the small mom and pop company mm -hmm. um but so I, if I go ahead i'm sorry I'm, I'm interrupting you no it's all good i think um it's it's definitely a trial and error game unless you have somebody who already works for a company that can vouch for them, or like it's a family-owned company. And, you know, you're a part of that family. Um, otherwise, do your research on the company you are applying for. Look at their reviews online. See what customers have to say about them. Um, there's multiple websites you can find where. Uh, previous employees give their reviews of working for that company. I tell you, every company I've worked for, I have gone and done that research because I don't want to go and work for a company where every employee says, you know, there's scandalous dealings done here. Uh, I wasn't comfortable being an employee here. That's not where you want to be, or at least that's not where I wanted to be. Uh -huh. um, so definitely do your research on your companies if you want to be happy where you're at. Well, and a lot of that sort of behavior, I have so many thoughts on this, Thomas. A lot of that sort of behavior is driven by a service manager or an owner who has certain metrics that are supposed to be met in the field. There aren't Correct. a bunch of technicians who just are out there like, who do I get to scam today? You know, that's not how most hardly any technicians think. What yes. happens is they're getting told you've got to sell 10 UV lights this week or whatever, whatever the number is. And they know what they're going to face if they don't sell those UV lights. And so they end up putting pressure on someone to buy a UV light who doesn't want it or need it because the metric is supposed to be met, right? Correct. 
So, so for a technician who's asking this question, that's where you would ask. I mean, you can't walk in and ask, are you guys ethical? Because they all yeah. say yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, but it would be worth asking, what are your weekly metrics and what happens if someone doesn't meet them? And, yeah. you know, I, 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 on a different podcast, I told the story of uh, a technician I talked to who they, the owner set up a wall of shame and they had eight by tens of all the technicians and any tech who missed their numbers the week before their, their eight by 10 went up on the wall of shame. And in the weekly meeting, they all came in and heard about it in front of the whole group about shame on you. You didn't hit your numbers. You know, that, that to me is unethical because it leads to unethical behavior in the field. It does. Yeah. So that, so, and if it's all right, I'm going to break this down a little bit more because it, what's interesting is, thinking about this as a technician wellness issue. Most people think of ethics as sort of a, it's just a morality case, what's right and wrong. But what, what leads to my technicians wellness when they're keeping their own integrity. And this will forgive me if this is a little deep dive into a brain here, but this is how our brains work when it comes to like the, the satisfaction thing, the happiness thing, right? We sort of have two parts. Um, one part is the fight or flight part of our brain. And you know, millions of years ago or thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago, it was there primarily to make sure we didn't get eaten by a tiger or by, you know, that kind of predator prey kind of thing. Um, what happens now is that part, it's that part of our brain that drives the elimination of threat. So when we're thinking about things like, uh, do I have enough money in the bank? There's, we're not, there's, there's one version of that that says, do I have enough money to go buy a killer automobile and feel how that feels driving around? There's another one that says, am I secure? Right? So that part of our brains, it also happens, it also functions around our health. It functions around job security. Um, it's a kind of the elimination of threat is that was where our brains work a lot there. Right? The other part of our brain doesn't really concern itself with threat. It's in the front part of our brain. That first part is kind of back here in the back by the brainstem. The front part is where we feel meaning and purpose. We make rational decisions that are not gut decisions. Uh, we think about pros and cons. And that part of our brain, um, it, it's where we feel, in a, if, in a sense, we have the elimination of unhappiness in that first part and we have the creation of happiness in the other part, okay? So both of those are threatened when we behave unethically because the part, the part of our brain that manages threat knows if someone finds this out, this is gonna be a problem. And even if you don't say it to yourself consciously, you know. The other part of yourself doesn't wanna be this kind of person, right? That it, it puts a drag on your sense of meaning and purpose and joy because now you're carrying around this behavior that you really don't want to be doing, but you, for the sake of survival, you're doing it, right? So when we talk about this thing with, and it's a big topic, I mean, I hear about it a lot, residential techs and ethical behavior, realize technicians, listeners, that this is a wellness issue. It's not just a dollars this week issue. It's a mental well-being issue over time if you give in to these pressures. Now, accountability, I get it. It's We're living in the real world. People want to make numbers and all of that. But you have to deal with it on your, yourself on the inside. But just realize, ultimately, if you give in to these things, it isn't just there's a rule that some judge or divine person or whatever is looking at and go, ah, that's the wrong rule. You, you didn't do the right thing you're actually um, stunting your ability to feel maximum happiness and safety in your life. So long commentary on that, but I think it's important for technicians to know that um, those kinds of decisions are very hardwired and connected to how happy I am in this, in this job. I agree. Um, being a technician out there on the field, um, I have had instances of the first I, I applied at a couple different companies and one of them seemed like a very good uh, opportunity for my first residential company. However, 
uh, I was unfamiliar with the inner workings of residential, um, being in you know chillers commercial. I didn't really have to deal with meeting any sales quotas or talking to customers. So that's a, a I, I, there was a gap of knowledge there. So the first company that I had applied for, it will go unnamed, <laughs> um, they brought me into a room and just like you were saying with that other technician, they have a wall of shame, you know, where, you know, they show the highest earner and the lowest earner. And he let me know that if you do not sell, I think he said maybe $200 worth of product each call, like you don't make $200 each call for the company. And he, I think he meant it in, in total. Like if you make 400 on this call, it makes up for the, those two calls. Sure. Um, but if you don't do that for X amount of time, uh, continuously, you will get demoted, you know, from a service tech two to a service tech one to a maintenance tech. Um, and once you get so far demoted, you just get fired. So yeah that's one of the big reasons I really didn't end up going with this company. They had an amazing training program. You know, everyone seemed pretty happy where they're at. The technicians I spoke to were making good money, but uh, there was that, that ethics issue for me where, you know, I don't, I don't want to be in a position where I'm sacrificing my own mental health to be financially well off. Yeah. So I, I could have done that. I just wasn't comfortable with it. Right. And I ultimately found a company that I am very happy with. Um, and I don't really have any uh, gripes about. And sure. again, that just boils back to this field has a demand. And if you don't like the way things are going in a company, there's other right. companies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's right. Well put, well put. Yeah, you know, and I know I have a client in Indianapolis they're currently averaging over a thousand dollars per call average. And mm -hmm. so, but it's a different kind of company and they, you have to have more experience to, to get in with them, but they don't, they don't, they're not concerned. I mean, in order to just kind of track what's happening, they, they track average per call, but all they pay attention to is the Google rating. What's, you know, are we getting these five-star ratings one after the other? Cause that, the, the yeah. There are different mindsets out there. there. There's some people who are still in this mindset that we're really competing for business. And we are. I mean, it is. It's what it is. But we're really much more competing for talent than we are for yeah. business. Like that's that's the scarce commodity. People all over the place need 70 degree air. We're not, that's not going to run out anytime soon, you know, and and, and if you know what you're doing, it's not hard to get into the homes where someone needs to help with that. Right. The hard thing these days is finding and keeping good technicians full stop. I mean, that those, that's the, that's the commodity out there. It's not a commodity, but that's the, the, the thing that, that creates more competition and creates more angst for owners than anything else. Every, every owner I talk to says the same thing. Oh, I could double my business next year if I had all the techs I could use and, and it might be true, you know, Okay. Um, anything else, Thomas, you would say just from your point of view, from your own experience or just things you've, uh, you have observed, like what is a technician who wants to optimize their life? What do they need to pay attention to? What are their, what strategies or tactics do they take on? I would say any technician that would like to optimize their life. Um, I would say work on personal growth. Uh, yeah. definitely whether that be um, working through any stress or I guess trauma that you might have uh, just helping yourself be in a better mental state because when you go into people's homes you need to take yourself out of the equation you are a service tech for whatever company you're you're working for just take all of I guess your outside of work self out of it and if you are yeah. unable to do that you're going to find yourself struggling a little bit, whether it be with diagnostics because you can't get out of your own head or speaking with the customer because uh, it can impact that as well. Um, aside from the I guess, mental uh, aspect like that, sure. um, just working on developing your technical skills more. There's a lot of companies out there who do not really put too much effort into training their employees um, and those technicians are expected to train themselves for the most part. Um, and 
I'm sure that sounds much worse than it really is. Um, but, you know, there's endless amounts of content on YouTube, online, um, where you can get the training you need to be an amazing technician, a competent technician. Yeah. Um, not, uh, I, I don't know, my, am I allowed to mention? A, sure. So I think I know where uh, you're going. Please go right ahead. Yeah. So for any technician out there that's looking to further their knowledge education, highly, highly, highly recommend um, HVA school on YouTube. Uh, they also have a podcast on Spotify, I believe. And he just talks about everything HVAC, whether it be, you know, how can technicians, um, I guess, uh, be more efficient in their maintenances, in their diagnostics, uh, safety procedures, um, just endless, endless knowledge on that channel that has definitely helped me kind of train myself. And for any technicians that are, you know, senior technicians, there's stuff in there for you to guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. That the, and by the way, just, just to, for the listeners, please any anything that's good it's working for you please let's proliferate who that is and how to get there and all of that because the whole point of this podcast is to do nothing but improve your lives so if you got if you found the bread send it to us beggars so we can pass it around right let's let's you know let's keep let's help each other um and you had said as well uh this is uh, hvac school is connected to cattle services is that right uh and yes i Brian morrison i think i think Yes, and I believe yeah. they are in Florida, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kalo I will come services. back when I record the intro for this. I'll come back around and make sure that accurate that information is in the intro so that yes. we've captured it. Um, because that's, I mean, at the end of the day, technicians only thrive when other technicians are good at what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the whole field. This is part of what's so exciting to me is that the whole field is just becoming more professional. There's, there's a professional wage beginning to be attached to it. Like the, you know, the level of respect due to technicians, I think is rising. Um, I think that there's, you know, cause it, it, there's kind of a, you know, 40 years ago, there was a kind of grease monkey reputation that went yeah. with technicians, which I think is going away. You know, I mean, it's it, because you have to be a pro to do the job now, both because of how you have to carry yourself to have someone let you into their home, mm-hmm. but also because air conditioning is becoming more technical. I mean, it it's, is. it's not like again, 40 years ago where you just had the same old five ton split. There's a lot of different systems working in these residential systems now that are frankly much more complicated than a chiller. I mean, there's, there's a lot to learn right now. So you have to be a pro oh, yeah. in order to keep up. I highly, I 10 out of 10 agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else, anything else? You know, let me ask you about the home life. Is there, uh, do you have a lot of on-call duties where you are right now? Uh, fortunately I do not. Uh, so okay. my company is a rarity of uh, definitely where each of the technicians, uh, every month is on call once or twice okay. out of the entire month, which is very up. Uh, I'm sorry, very abnormal for all the technicians out there or soon to be technicians. Um, A lot of companies, you will be on call very often or you will be working late hours very often. Um, But like I said earlier, there's a lot of different companies that do things a a lot different from one another. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious because we talked earlier. So you don't have children yet, but you are married. So I was going to ask you how that, uh, maybe not just on call. Is there any, are there any ways that being in the air conditioning business uh, you had to navigate some things with your wife about what was involved. So at the chiller uh, company, there were a lot of instances where me and my boss would be sent out to do um, service calls on our machines. Um, there were some that were in Palm Springs and that's maybe like an eight hour drive uh, down to Southern California where we stayed in a hotel and we just got up went to work fixing the chiller, went back to bed. We were out there for maybe three or four days, then a whole day's worth of driving back. Um, so, you know, the if if I did have children, um, you know, that would be very rough on me. Yeah. 
I don't have children, so it's hard for me to imagine, but I yeah. can guess that it would be rough being away from my children uh, that much or just being worried about them, their well-being. Um, but, you know, yeah. I, I, oh, please. I'll, I'll throw in a comment here just for those who are listening and they do have children. Um, what kind of strategies help? And the, the number one strategy is having a shared goal with your partner. If you're, if, if it's one thing to say, Hey, this is my job. I can't help it. I, they called, I got to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Which makes it positions the whole thing as too bad for us, as opposed to, we know this is going to happen. We have goals we're working toward together and answering that call is my part of getting there. And when, you know, your, your partner has other things they know they're doing in order to get to this place together. And you know, when those difficult times come, you both have a stake in going ahead and doing it because of where you're going together. And that um, more than anything, when I talk to technicians, even when it comes to kids, involve the kids in your goal. Where, how does this help the kids? What, what are the, is, are we working toward a vacation? Something simple like that. Are we dealing with whatever, whatever it is, it could be something more kind of life, long or it could be something more short term but if you're all in it together everybody feels like it's okay because i have some skin in this one because we're we have this shared goal we're working on together and it really helps no i, I like the way that is worded and i think that that i mean would probably help uh, myself in a couple <laughs> different ways and uh definitely a lot of different technicians out there yep. so very good advice yep um Anything else? Anything else that comes to mind that you just say, hey, one more thing, John, make sure the techs know about this. That introverted mindset right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I guess a big one, uh, like one last thing would be sure. um, not... not being in it alone um Mm. a lot of technicians a lot of technicians um do not bring work home so you know they they go to work they do their job they come home they keep their their work life out of their home life don't bring it up Mm. um but we're all human all right uh myself you know i need to vent from time to time about uh the fact that i fell inside of a bunch of rotting rat carcasses (laughs) you know i need to talk about that um so if it's if it's not your significant other that you are discussing these things with i highly recommend um you know talking to one of your coworkers about it you know Mm -hmm. just talking about your guys's shared misery really alleviates some of that stress from it and i'm sure they're feeling the same way and you know you make a buddy out of it i i i would highly recommend uh just just talking to someone Uh, Coworkers are the easiest because they know what you're going through. Yeah. That's a really great thought, Thomas, and, re- and really good advice. I mean, that there's something about, and I, again, I think we're growing out of it as an industry. This is really craft labor generally, but there's something about two generations ago that was like, if you're in this line of work, you just don't talk about your feelings. You just don't talk about, yeah. you just don't talk about anything. And, you know, there's a lot of compressed, um anxiety and anger and frustration that it, ha- it goes somewhere you know either you drink it out of a bottle or you, you whatever it goes somewhere yeah. and um so it's a really great really great point it's not like there's no stress in this business and yeah. having someone to talk to about it it's a great it's a really good point thomas and uh like you were saying the la- that last ge- last two generations last generation um i would be very mindful about who you talk to because um i've definitely complained uh to some of that generation and boy oh boy they don't like hearing it they really don't like hearing it so (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe stick to your age group when it comes to your complaints that's a good point you know that's really that's really funny too because that's i see this because i i work with many multiple workforces and so the um another an older generation will observe this is just my judgment an older generation will observe a younger generation uh, 
kind of looking out for each other this way. And they never, they didn't do that because in their mind, that's being soft and they don't, you know, and so, but, and I'm not really trying to shame them either. It's just where they came from. But yeah. I, I agree. Like, you know, if you start getting, if you're talking to somebody older than you and they, you feel like they're, you're, they're getting this eye rolling, you know, like, come on, this is, you know, maybe yeah. you should, and where it always goes is, well, they, maybe you shouldn't be in this business because mm-hmm. that's the, that's the self-talk that got them through, you know? Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's a good point, Thomas. Well taken. Yeah. Some guys are going to be rough around the edges. Um, yeah. That's just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Thomas. Uh, I've been a great guest and you've got a really remarkably interesting story. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, are you, are you in our Facebook group? Are you even on Facebook? I don't know. Um, I am on Facebook. And like I said earlier, I did check out your, your other podcast that you have up. Yeah. And that's, I just now, like, I just listened to it and then I was oh, like, sure. oh, he's got a Facebook for this. Yeah. So, yeah, so please, yeah, please join us. And, and uh, because after this podcast airs, I'm sure people want to ask you questions and whatnot. So um, doubt it. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the group, then uh, uh, it's a private group, but all you have to do is request being in it. We'll let you in. So just like, yeah, just like everybody else, if you guys want to, that's the main way I want to create interaction. Um, My goal is to create 50,000 listeners to this podcast, all technicians. And so that we have to have some way of interacting with each other, because that's too many for me to just kind of email. So, (laughs) and, and for you guys to network with each other as well. So uh, we're doing it through that Facebook group. It's just uh, HVAC joy lab podcast group. It's connected to my personal Facebook profile and um, come on in uh, when this one airs, it's going to be six weeks or so before this airs. But once it airs, you get a chance to reach out to Thomas and get to know him and, and ask him some more questions. All righty. Well, thank you, John. And uh, for all the listeners, I look forward to hearing from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks Thomas. And we will see you again soon. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A good life is had. The HVAC.